0: When you are trying to come up with your first episode, especially your first guest, there's a lot of weight because for me, you want that first guest to really represent what you hope the entire podcast is going to represent. And so I had to sit down and really think about who I wanted that person to be. And immediately one person came to mind. I slid into her DMs, right? And I asked her if she could do it. And within just a few moments, she got right back to me and said, Paul, just let me know the date and time. And this is someone who represents, has all the values that I believe represents the Better With Paul audience. She has a story that is inspiring, that is instructional, that is motivational, that we can all aspire to. And guess what? She's reached the point in her life where she only goes by one name. We call her Lovey. Now, before you listen to this episode, please hit pause, go to Paul C. Brunson backslash better, B-E-T-T-E-R to get on the newsletter. This is where I give you my inside, right? All of my thoughts on each interview that we do. And in this one, I'm going to break down all of what I believe Lovey's superpowers are. But if you want to hear from her, herself. If you want to hear about how she found her voice when she moved from Nigeria, you want to hear about how she got fired. Yep, <laughs> she got fired several times. We talk about how that launched her into her business of writing and entrepreneurship and how she created a New York Times best-selling book and how that led to speaking engagements and how that led to just changing her life. We also get into the consequences, the risks, the hits that she's received. As being a truth teller. And I even got a chance to talk about love with Lovey. This is a wide ranging interview, and I'm proud that this is our first episode. Here she is, Lovey. All right, so you ready for this?
1: Absolutely. Look, I stay ready. Paul Paul uh, calls, I'm going.
0: All right. All right. So now, did um did your assistant tell you what we're talking about though?
1: She probably did, but I wasn't paying attention. I'm
0: oh, <laughs> oh, This was the special cuz this this is the um this is the sexual fetish episode.
1: <laughs> nope, it's not.
0: No, no, it is. Really? Yeah. You don't want to No.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, no, 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 no. That's not what it
1: is. <laughs> no, no, no. That's why I was like, I'm not worried. because I all remember, right. I remember the video you made about me. Oh man, honestly, you just don't worry. I'll talk about it on the show. <laughs> all
0: right, all right. Well, well let's go. I, I tell you what. Here, here's where I want to begin. Here's okay. where I want to start. Right. I want to start with this. This is something that I don't think you know. Okay. I have been recording interviews for a podcast for almost five years. Wow. And I've never dropped this podcast. I've never kicked it off. I never launched it. And I decided, I decided three minutes before I I slid into your DMs that I want you to be my first guest.
1: Wow.
0: This is... No matter how this goes, this is the first episode, right?
2: (laughs) Okay, okay, let's do it.
0: Now, here's the reason why, and you tell me if this is the truth, okay? Okay. I want this podcast to be for people who value culture, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: who value legacy, who value financial freedom, Mm -hmm. who value integrity, right? And I feel like those are like, those are your core values.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: D- all right, all right. So, so then tell me this then, the one thing, even though I feel like I know your values, the one thing that I don't feel like I really know is, what do you do? Like what is, what, what is, your, what is your, what's your, what's your job, what
1: do you do? <laughs> Yo, that is hysterical. Paul, how are you not gonna
0: know what I do? I mean, I mean, I mean, I know like I I know many things that you do. Like, I mean, you're you're a prolific writer. I believe that you are a thought leader around speaking truth to power. Like, I think there's many things that you do. But how do you characterize like your job? Like, what what is your job?
1: I don't have just one job. I have multiple. So when people say, like, what do you do? Because people are looking for me to say, I do this one thing. And that's what my, that's how I get my money. I do like eight things. But I would say my main job for the last four years has been speaking, a professional speaker. 80% of my income in the last four years has been from speaking. Wow. Um, The year that I've had the most speaking engagements, I had 50. 50 and only two of them were in the city that I live in, which is Chicago. So <laughs> I'm I'm a speaker, I'm a writer, I am a digital strategist. So not all my work is loud. Okay. You know, I also do work with internally at companies and help consult with them on like diversity and, and like how to create the culture that they want internally. So not all my work is front-facing, but yeah, all of it falls into uh, culture and, um, truth telling.
0: Yeah. All right. So, so so you're a professional truth teller.
1: Yes. I'm a professional troublemaker.
0: (laughs) See, all right. So now, see, all right. I'm glad you brought that up. Right. Because I believe I was thinking about, actually, I was telling my wife, Jill, this is, I said, aside from a small number of people, like I think like Dave Chappelle, like basically some hardcore comedians. Yeah. I don't know anyone, anyone that can basically call people out like you do. And at the the same time, like do it almost in the vein where they almost want to then partner with you. Like they almost want to then like, you know, you know, like I was thinking to myself, I was like, I don't know any human being in this world that will call people out like Lovey, but at the same time, then, you know, partner. You know, but so, I mean, help, help me to understand that part because I, f- I find that to be fascinating, fascinating.
1: Yeah, that's actually interesting. I think what helps me is charm. <laughs> like, like, I think if you have, because two, th- two people can say the same thing and it lands different, right? Like in tone, in intention, but the same exact content can land different based on how it's delivered. And I think just because of how I am and I don't take myself too seriously. And even as I'm calling other people out, I call myself out. Yeah. It's my content and the way I approach life and writing and speaking. Oftentimes people say that they feel like I'm their play best friend in their head. My audience says that all the time. Like They're like, we feel like you're like my best friend from afar. And the value of that is when your best friend tells you something, even when they're telling you you need to do better, you're like, all right, I can hear that. right? Because you're like, okay, they love me. They're saying this with, with all the love and all the humor. So I'm, I'm able to receive it. And I think that has actually really informed how people receive my content. I think the humor piece has been important because humor gets people's defenses down. Like it gets you feeling more relaxed. And while your defenses are down, you're more likely to hear something and how it's said. And I think that's really a big part of it, which is why my white audience, as I'm roasting them every day. (laughs) Every day, every day. They're (laughs) like together. They're like, you hear that. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm always like hilarious. But I think it's also because I'm just like, I'm the straight shooter who is not being cruel about it. And it's not that I'm scolding you. It's that I'm really expecting you to show up in the best way that you can. And when you don't, I'm going to tell you you didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and somehow it lands.
0: It lands. You just said something that's blowing my mind. You you said your core audience, right, is receiving it. And immediately in my mind, I was thinking your core ordi- audience is Black women, right?
1: My core audience is Black women.
0: But but then you said the the, the white audience that you have. So who who do you consider to be your audience, who, or, or like your avatar, who is that?
1: My ideal avatar is actually me from five years ago. Black okay. woman, educated, she has her stuff right on paper, but she feels like she can do more, right? And she just needs the extra push of like, look at what it looks like when somebody's trying to do more and maybe sometimes failing, but always coming back up, right? So I have that really core cool audience who I write and speak for. and. Often when I'm writing, I also write their frustrations. So when I'm talking to white people and saying, get your stuff together, it's because I'm thinking about the fact that my ideal avatar is working with these people every day.
2: Yeah. Yep.
1: So I need them to get it together. But what's funny is through my writing and through my blog and my book and even my podcast, white women have gravitated towards my content. So I'm speaking for my ideal avatar to them. Even in the moments when they don't realize it. And oddly enough, now a lot of them really see what I'm saying. So yeah, I do have, I would say probably 50% of my audience is Black women. Right. The other 50% is everybody else. Gay men, white women. There's some white men in there. There's some older, um, there's, a lot, there's a lot of like older Black women who would love to follow my work. So I'm very clear about who I'm speaking to. I write for Black women, right. and I want Black women to love my work first. Yeah, if Black yep. women love my work, I'm not worried about anybody else.
0: Yeah, then you're good. Everybody
1: yeah, me as a byproduct, because they're like, "Oh my gosh, she's dope." All right, cool. Yeah, but I'm yeah. always speaking two and four.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things that's been most brilliant about your brand, right? Because uh, you know, I, I've stalked you, stalked the, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm a I'm a kind stalker, but but <laughs> I, I love. I love to, like, you know, look at brands in particular and how they were created, how they you know manifested. And I think that i have I've never seen you deviate from unapologetically serving your audience, yeah, like you you've never and 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 what's fascinating is that most people always pivot, right? It's almost like the crossover. It's like, yeah. all right, I'm gonna get on b e t, but then, I'm gonna get on ABC one day right <laughs> forget, forget, forget that so so you've been unapologetic with your audience, and I think that's I think that's that's been like a secret to the sauce, right
1: yeah, I think it's I try to be the same person whether I am in b t or ABC right, right. My, as my audience and, and has grown as my career has moved and evolved from blog to book to whatever is next, I want to be like myself, so you will see this version of me on a stage on Ted or when I'm at, at Essence Black women in Hollywood. And right. I think that's important because at no point should you just leave your audience behind. I felt guilt when I couldn't blog every day because I thought I was leaving my audience behind. Meanwhile, I wasn't really thinking, no, they'll just meet you on Instagram now or they'll just meet you on your podcast or they'll just buy the book. Because my audience is so important to me because I they've also grown up with me and they've been able to see the journey. And they're deeply invested in it. Yes. I think a lot of us need to really double down on being ourselves. Yes. The people who need us to be those people will continue to support us. If we can if we always pivot and go, well, those are not the people I'm speaking to anymore, then what's your home base?
0: Yeah, yeah. Now you said to continue to be ourselves, right? Yeah. And and so in my stalking of all things lovey, I, I was trying to figure out at what stage of your life you found yourself, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Now,
0: now, now, now tell me if I'm, if I'm close on this. Tell me if okay. I'm close, right? So I know that in terms of like how, like psychologically, you know, and in, in, in between, you know, like zero to 14 years old, we're kind of just mimicking what we see. You know, yeah. see what mommy and daddy do, or whatever. We kind of mimic that. But yeah. then between about 14 and like 21 is that socialization stage. where lots of crazy things happen to us. Unfortunately, a lot of bad things happen to us. And we begin to feel like we understand the core of who we are, right? Mm -hmm. Was that close to when you started to see who Lovey was or was all of that, what I just said, completely stupid?
1: (laughs) That's actually close in that, funny enough, I've actually been this person for a long time since I was probably three. Like, I've, I've had this personality for a long time, really self-assured, would speak up about things that she didn't feel was right. Like, I'm talking like when my mom would punish me when I was younger, I would take the punishment. And then afterwards, I'd go up to her and say, I feel like I was owed an apology because I <laughs> feel like that was unfair. Like, she would, she would affirm this and be like, yeah, she used to do that. I would actually walk up to her and be like, you know, I feel like I was offended here. I was wrong. <laughs> like, like, coming to the U.S. when I was nine, you know, it was the first time I was ever different. It was the first time I was ever like the new girl. So that was the, on- the first time and only time that I feel like I tried to be somebody else. I had this strong Nigerian accent. I, you know, did not eat sandwiches. I, was- I ate jollof rice. <laughs> so, you know, I instantly was like, okay, that's not cool anymore. Okay, learn how to talk like these kids. Just, just listen to them and try to mimic that. And I lost most of my accent by high school. But it was in college that I basically reclaimed me, like in all the full Nigerian-ness, all the full standing in my power. And I don't think I looked back.
0: Mm. And how old were you?
1: 17.
0: 17, yeah, see? 17. Right, right right, on the money. Right
1: on right. the money. I was like, you didn't lie. You didn't yeah, right, lie. Yeah,
0: right on the money. So, so, so now... I, I, I don't know if I read or I saw, but it's like, I, I want to talk about you coming from Nigeria. Yeah. Actually, let me put it on myself and I'll tell you how, how I interpret it. Okay. So I'm second generation Jamaican. Okay. But I was born in Jamaica, Queens. So I, it was Jamaica, right? It was, to me, everything was Jamaica. Yeah. And, and real talk, I didn't consider myself uh, African-American. Mm. I considered myself Jamaican. And within the Jamaican community, we were expected to act differently. We were, it was almost as if once I got around family on the weekends, they would say, "Okay, that's that's what they do, Mm. but you do something like you you need to come harder, right? You need to deliver." Was that part of your? Family was like was that part of the vibe, and was that part of your expectation upon yourself that you were almost different?
1: Um, yeah, because I felt like I lived two lives. Like in school, you know, I'm here talking to the kids, and you know, and and trying to act like I don't want to eat my jollof rice today, even though that's what I, I want. I don't want I don't want at all. And then at home, I'm speaking Yoruba, you know, and eating pounded yam and a goosey stew. So existing in these two worlds where. And I also went by two different names. Okay. Because uh, my first name is Ifeoluwa, which is uh, Yoruba for God's love. That's where lovey came from and all that stuff. So I literally will step into the house and become a brand new person because I have different name, different language. And for me, I always had my pride in being Nigerian, but I kind of kept it sacred from my classmates. Like it, it felt like a part of me that wasn't welcome in that space. Mm. So I didn't bring it into school, really. I tried to actually I would go to school on the first day of school Mm. early and I'd go to every class early to go tell my teacher, don't call me by my first name that's on the on the ledger. Wow. Wow. I don't want you to mess it up. I don't want you to introduce it to all these folks who are not gonna be able to know how to pronounce it. Wow. So I was very clear about my boundary that who I was was not welcome there. But in terms of being at home. Yeah, we still had the rules of first of all, a B is not good enough, right? A always. Mm-hmm. So, I don't care if everybody else is getting Bs or Cs, you, that's not that's not for you. So, also carrying that. But I think what's funny about kids is we can carry way more than people understand. True. Kids adapt and we're also very like very sharp about knowing when to switch. So, you want to talk about code switching? Yeah. yeah. It's like a life code code switch. But yeah, it definitely is something that I think a lot of first gen kids and second gen kids will, might go through because you literally are two different people, depending on where you are.
0: Yeah, yeah. Were, did you consider yourself to be popular during that time? Like, did you have a lot of friends? Were, were, you, were, were, were you the popular one? The not so like Like, yeah. We're, I, I mean, characterize you at around oh, 16, 17.
1: Yeah. You know, 16, 17, I wasn't unpopular, but I wasn't. I was like, so I went to a high school called Whitney Young Magnet High School, Michelle Obama's uh, alma mater. All right. Thank um, you. And our school was really diverse. Like, you know how a lot of times people in school are like, oh, you couldn't be smart. I went to a magnet school where being smart was actually cool. So everybody had their own different groups. All the nerds weren't nerds in our school. You were actually just regular. So I don't think I was unpopular. I also was not a jock. I was in student council. I had my group of friends. We looked like Captain Planet. Like, (laughs) like, we were so diverse. Had my black friends. I had, it was just, it was cool. So me at 16 and 17, I liked the role that I played, which was basically be who you are in whatever way that is. Had a group of friends. I had multiple groups of friends, actually. So yeah, it it worked out.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It worked out. It definitely worked out. All right. So let's get to some of the middle, right, on, on how it worked yeah. out. So all right. So then after college, you yeah. then, you were going to do the med school thing, but you just you, you said, nah, it's not for me. So then you landed in marketing.
1: Yeah. So freshman year in college, I ended up dropping my pre-med major because I got D in chemistry. And I was like, ooh, see, I don't even like hospitals. Let's go ahead and end that dream. Like literally, I killed the dream. The whole document that I had my whole life, kill it, it's done. Um, But I ended up starting my blog that year, freshman year of college, which was 17 years ago. Jesus. Wow. I know, right? Wow. But I got a marketing internship while I was in college that I really ended up liking. So when I graduated with my psych degree, because I thought I was going to be a psychologist, I thought I was going to go to grad school, I was like, you know what? In the meantime, while I like think about grad school, I'll just go get a marketing job, which I did, loved. Um, I was the person who was introducing the organization that I was in to social media because I had been an early adopter of all those platforms. Like, I've been on Facebook since July 2004. Facebook started February 2004.
2: Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. July
1: 2004. Because they did did Harvard, Ivy Leagues, and then Big Tens. And I went to a Big Ten, Illinois. So I don't know how I even came into... How even came to my forefront, but I was like, oh my God, there's this thing called the Facebook. Yeah, the Facebook. Facebook. <laughs> the Facebook. And I had all my friends join it. And so when I graduated, I would start at these uh, nonprofits and I'd be like, are we using the Facebook to do our work? And they're <laughs> like, no. And I'm like, we could be on there. So I would basically be the person running our social media marketing in addition to doing the traditional marketing, the mailings. and um, But I was still blogging throughout all of this. Right And yeah, that basically took on a life of its own. And the last time I had a job, well, I got laid off my last full-time job, April, 2010. So exactly 10 years ago.
0: 10 years ago, you got laid off. So so if you hadn't been laid off, I'm assuming you would have continued
1: Probably. working for the man. Probably, because Probably. I wasn't going to take that risk. Like I knew I was bored. I knew I was like, ah, i would be sitting in the office just like not being that productive. And, but I, I wasn't gonna just quit because that's not how I wrote. Right. I probably would have would have just kept going and being bored and just being like, I mean, I guess it's what I should be doing. <laughs> but you fired. I I really do think I got fired, but I feel like they were being kind by laying me off. <laughs> like what, I think. Why would
0: they fire you though? What was it?
1: I I probably was terrible after a while because I was not. When I'm bored, you can tell. Like all of my. Part of the reason why I'm a freshman troublemaker and this true tell is because you can tell my emotions very quick. Like I'm not, I don't do a good job of hiding how I'm feeling.
0: Got it. Got so, it. So
1: me knowing I was bored, I was probably also not doing great work.
0: Okay. Okay. And they knew it. And they knew it. They
1: knew it. I feel yeah. like I felt like in a meeting even.
0: Oh yeah. That's a problem. You sound like my wife. This is what she does. She falls asleep. Because and we work together, so this is bad. (laughs) We're working together, and she's falling asleep in our meetings. Like that's a that's a problem. But now, this is what I love, though, right? So you start blogging in two thousand three. Yep. Let's let's be honest. Not very many people are blogging in two thousand. Like it wasn't a career, so it was a hobby, right? You're doing digital marketing, which at that time was not a career. It was a hobby right? But you did the two things that perfectly intersect to then, I think, create that foundation for you just to, for you just to blow, right?
2: Exactly. Exactly.
0: So, so then 2000, so 2010, you get fired because you're falling asleep in meetings, right? (laughs) So, so then why did you choose? Cause that's a pivotal point, right? Why did you choose not to get another job, but to then go out on your own?
1: It's not for a lack of trying. I'm stubborn, okay? I was not receiving the message from the universe and God to be like, hey, this is me pushing you to do what you're supposed to be doing. I was like, well, I I need to find a new job. So, like, I'd go on LinkedIn, send my resume. But in the meantime, because I'm a hustler and grinder, Mm -hmm. I was doing what I was doing for my full-time job for blogs and and small business owners. Because I was like, wait, I'm proof that I can do it for myself. So I was continuous, like proof of my own work. Okay. So I started doing consulting with small business owners and other bloggers. I learned how to actually build websites too. So I started doing that too. Funny enough, the job that laid me off, hired me to come to a Twitter strategy training at one of (laughs) their conferences. So while I'm doing all of that, I was still looking for full-time jobs because I was like, I'm just doing all this part-time to just make sure I get some money while I'm waiting to get hired.
0: Right.
1: And I could not find a full time job with my resume. That was actually pretty decent. Right. Still couldn't get hired. But my blog started getting bigger and bigger. My consulting started getting bigger and bigger. Like I was making a decent living doing this stuff by myself. Like my last full time job, my my salary was thirty five thousand dollars in a year.
0: OK. Thirty five. Twenty ten.
1: And I was twenty five okay. at this point.
0: OK. Thirty
1: five thousand dollars. So if I can make that much by myself in a year, then it was less of a reason. But I was still looking for full-time jobs. Cause I was like, I still need insurance. Right. I'm not taking this whole thing seriously that I'm supposed to work for myself. I was not. Right. I was like, my problem's cute. I understand. It's 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 getting bored. <laughs> it's cool. It's a great side hustle, but it's not the thing. And I remember I finally got a full-time job. I think it was like end of 2011, something like that. I was hired to do social media like to be a social media manager for like a global brand okay decent pay i I actually don't remember what the salary was i need to look it up decent pay more than definitely more than my last job and the first day i go in you know i get onboarded i am sitting at my desk working on whatever deck they wanted me to work on that day and by like 1 p.m i was like I, mean, I don't want to be here like the, wow. wall, the, first it felt like day. the wall were closing in on me mm. and I was like oh my God, I don't like this I don't <laughs> like no, no 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 so I literally was like okay I'm going to finish the day so what I did was I finished the day at five o'clock I sent an email and scheduled it to get to them the next morning basically saying thank you for the opportunity this is my first and last day
0: wow wow yeah, yeah. That right there, I think that was your moment. That was that. That was your moment. That's you,
1: when I was like. Oh, I got to make this. No, nope. I work for myself now. I work for myself. I don't belong in an office. Absolutely.
0: And that was your last day of ever working for anyone else. Yes. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that. Yeah. Did you? At what point though? Did you consider yourself an entrepreneur? Because I would imagine you didn't feel like an entrepreneur right away, right? Because you, yeah. you just didn't want to work for anybody else, right? That's, I mean, that's really
2: what the truth was.
1: Yeah. I, I be, me and labels are interesting because the re, I have on this hat that says writer because it took me 20, to 2012 to even call myself a writer. To call myself an entrepreneur, maybe around the same time. Really? Uh, yeah, I don't take them on lightly because I'm always like, have I earned the title? Have I done enough? Do I really own this thing? And I and I don't think I took me working for myself seriously until that moment. And until the moment when I would say another really big moment for me was a few months after that, 2012, February 2012, I got credential to do press coverage at the Academy Awards. Okay. Usually when people get credentials for that. They get it for the red carpet. And when the red carpet is done, they have to go home. They have to leave, yeah. I also have backstage credentials.
0: Oh, so you were inside the building.
1: Also inside the building. So you were inside, okay. I over there like, eating Wolfgang Puck's shrimp <laughs> and I was like, this is living my best life. And I'm seeing all the celebrities walk past me and there's like rooms for journalists to sit there filing stories. And you know, some of them are very serious. So they're like in there running. me while I'm over here eating. <laughs> right. and i was supposed to be like live tweeting because i was going to be like i was sharing what i'm seeing what i'm experiencing all
0: right but now you, you're doing this on behalf of yourself or-
1: yes okay right. Of- right and i'm standing next to like somebody from the bbc and like cnn is right there and entertainment tonight is right there and here i am also lovey so my sister texts me and goes Mom just called me and said she hasn't seen a tweet by you in 20 minutes.
0: <laughs> Get yourself together. Right. And
1: yeah. I was like, wait a minute. First of all, she knows about Twitter. Okay. <laughs> First of all, She's actually like paying attention to what I'm up to right now. That's not just playing on the internet. And I think that was a moment for me that was like, yo, look at the room that you're in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That you got there because of the work that you were doing, because right. of the words that you're putting on paper it's big it's it's now it's time to honor that and i feel like that was one of those moments that was like okay you got to own it you got to own it take it seriously let's do it let's, let's do, it. do it
0: so so i mean clearly you did it but but what was it right so now you you left that event owning yeah. it you yeah. are an entrepreneur you are a writer you're a digital you know strategist right yeah. what did you start doing differently to build your brand at that point cuz you said this is 2012 right
1: mm-hmm. okay I don't know if I did anything differently in terms of the work that I was doing. I think it was a mindset shift. It was me being less like, oh, that's cool. That's a hobby. That's this thing that I guess I'm just good at. And me being more like, this is what I do. Mm-hmm. I'm really good at it. And yeah, let's do it. So it, was, it didn't shift the function of my job. Because right. I was already doing all this stuff. What it shifted was how I presented myself. Mm. And that's just tough. my own positioning right to myself it was like this is not just a hobby this is your gift this is your career this is the thing that you will do because you love it right so it's not there are no more excuses to up to why you're not owning it now you got to own it and it's funny because everything that I was afraid of in terms of like okay if I own it being a writer like uh is it just like blogging <laughs> How what it is it? Out of money? What is it really? It was like all of it got moved out the way. It was like the moment I made the decision that this was not just a hobby, it was like the universe was like, okay, I've been waiting for this moment. Exactly. Welcome. Boom. Here's the opportunities. Like I got columns in two magazines. I ended up getting, I had to quit even designing websites because I didn't have enough time anymore because I had more to do on the strategy side and on the writing side. I started doing really cool branding campaigns. I made more money doing what I did, probably like, I think 2012 was probably the year that I was like, oh shoot, I actually make way more money than I did when I had my full time job.
0: Wow, okay. All right, I love this. And at that time, so you've got, you're writing columns, so you have income coming from that. You're still doing websites, you're probably still doing some social media strategy. Are you speaking or any of that stuff yet or no?
1: Yes. So already coming into play and I was getting more speaking engagements. So I, I had like four or five income streams that I didn't have to strive for. They were just dropping at my feet. So it wasn't like I was pitching myself. People would just literally show up in my inbox and be like, Hey, we love your work. We want to partner with you for this. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. Right. So my fears of having to strive and struggle for something kind of like got laid by the wayside. And 2014, a book agent emailed me. 2015, three months later, I signed my first book deal. 2016, September.
2: Lollipops book- everywhere.
1: <laughs> everywhere. I'm talking, you know what? I have them right now.
0: Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> Everywhere. Okay. Everywhere.
0: Oh yeah. You you know, yeah. can I can I tell you that? Or tell yeah. you is that is that um I remember getting an advanced copy of your of, of your book, but I don't remember really the book. I remember the lollipop. I was like, wow,
1: this is <laughs> I you, look, it made the book so freaking like Yeah, it was memorable. And I and actually, didn't you even have like a lollipop pin? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Kind on of a When my book came out, September 13, 2016, I, I wore that Judgy Pop pin on my lapel for the next year. Whether or not I was talking about the book, you always saw that thing because I wanted people to just. So when they saw the book, they were like, I've seen that before somewhere. Yes. And it worked. In yes. terms of the branding of the book, I was so proud of how that unrolled.
0: You know, all right, let, let's unpack the book a little bit, right? Because yeah. there's a lot of people who, because I, I think many people know you now as not just a writer, you're an author. Yeah. You're a best-selling author, right?
2: Yeah.
0: Um, And you got the book deal. Do you think that you got the book deal as a result of what? Was it the audience that you had built at that time? Was it the voice that you had built and the audience? Was it something else? How do you think you got the deal? Because a lot of people want deals, right? So how did you go about getting the deal?
1: All of that. The voice, the brand, the audience, all of that. So when my book, when I got my book deal February 2015, it was a different world from where we are right now.
0: True, true.
1: And I say that because one of the things that you have to do when you're writing a book proposal is you have to put comparative title for your book. Like so basically you have to list books that are either similar subject matter from people who are considered your peers or similar feel and tone. Okay. So okay. I remember writing my proposal and wanted to put a few black women books in my book agent being like, nope, don't put those because they didn't sell well. Wow. Well, because you have to basically say that my book will be successful just like these books. So you can't put books that don't sell well. So I remember just being like, yo, this is wild. I feel like the only book I wanted to put on it at that point was Issa's book.
2: Okay.
1: okay. Black but I couldn't because Issa's book came out, it was just a week old when my proposal was going out. That's it. So I couldn't even put any black women books in it. So I had to put a bunch of other different books. And I remember even having editor meetings and an editor being like, Ah, your book just feels very similar to Issa's book. We already have that <laughs> <laughs>
2: <Like, laughs> Where are you? We're
1: not-, not similar at all. But I guess because me and her are both black. Women who are peers, y'all think our books are similar? Okay, so my first book advance was really low.
2: Mm. Can
0: can you can you can you disclose what it was? (laughs) (laughs) Come on now, we need some numbers. Let me, cause 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 here, I'll I'll be I'll be straight up with my situation too. When I got my book deal, yeah, I got signed to the same imprint that Hill Harper was on.
2: Okay. Oh wow. And
0: and they just wanted Hill Hill had he he did really well with this series. They basically just wanted to spit out another like Hill Harper situation. But they wrote a check though, Lovey.
1: What's your check?
0: They wrote a check though.
1: What was your check? You gotta tell me and then I'll tell you mine. 150. But no, I'm gonna let you finish your stuff.
0: Uh, I'm going to say it was, it was 150, but I've learned now it was the worst deal ever. It was the worst deal ever. Right. It's like, I'm still paying <laughs> back that money. Right. Like right now it's, it was the, wor- Wait, the worst. You made
1: have to return it?
0: Yes. I had, yeah, it it was the worst. It was like, Hey, it was like, let me, Hey, you know, Black boy, let me dangle some money in front of you. Here's a check. I was like, $150,000. Take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. Psh, I'm still paying it back.
1: I'm still paying it back. Well, my advance was 60. Okay. And I knew it was low. And I was like, got it. So I have a job to do here. My job is to prove <laughs> or everybody wrong. Because people thought my book was risky. They thought black women don't buy books. They thought bloggers couldn't sell books. All of those things were stacked against me. Right. And I had nobody to argue against it, right? right? There was nobody who I can be like, well, they did it. And they look just like me. So I was like, bet. I'm going to take this. Knowing that it is, it is lower than what I am actually worth. And I'm going to kill it. Yeah, I'm going to kill it. Because I wanted it to be where... Now I felt like this deep sense of obligation to be where I was the person who somebody would use to be like, give me all the money because Lovey made all that money, right? Right. Right. So with the book, I was like, okay, I'm calling, first of all, I'm gonna write the book that I'm proud of that feels timely and timeless. Mm -hmm. And I wrote this book in five months.
0: Quick, it's quick.
1: It's quick, but I was like, let's go. 83,000 words is what I turned in. 75,000 words is what they ended up at. So when the book was about to come out, I was like, this book is bigger than me because I need this book to prove a point. I need this book to be something that allows a black woman to walk into a publishing house and be able to say, give me what I'm worth. And here's proof. Like, here is proof that I am worth more than 60. Right. So when the book was coming out, I'm I'm talking, I Whatever hangups that I have about not asking for help, and I have a lot of them, I hate asking for help. I hate feeling like I'm at the- Me too. It's just, it's so uncomfortable for me. I literally was like, swallow that because what you need to do here is bigger than you. Ask for all the help. Call all your friends who are in big places. Call in the favors and be like, yo, I need help because my book was not considered a big book. So it also wasn't supported with a lot of marketing. Marketing, yep. So, I actually spent some of my advance on a PR person, an external PR person, because I was like, I need this book to not fail.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, I'm talking, I called my friends who were at anybody, listen, I need you to help me prop this book. And I wanted it to be where it was easy to pub it, right? I wanted it to be good, so it's not hard for somebody to be like, I'm going to put my name on this.
0: Right, right.
1: So, when this book came out, I'm talking, I worked my ass off.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was...
1: Watch.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the pre, all of the publicity going into it, I think was brilliant. And what's fascinating is that I thought there was like a brand manager. Well, there was a brand manager behind it. It was you. It was so visual. you're the one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like I yeah. did everything from the visual branding of this book to the marketing campaign. I wrote the social media strategy for myself. So all the skills that I've acquired over these years came into play for this. And it was the perfect time. Like I'm talking. The visual branding for the book, I, I had to call my whole p- book team together to be like, yo, Paul, if you saw some of the first covers <laughs> of this book.
0: Oh, man, I've, I've seen some, man, I'm going to tell Paul, you.
1: They were awful. When I tell you, there's one, the first cover they sent to me was turquoise with <laughs> lime green writing that said, I'm judging you in lime green. <laughs> and then they sent another cover that was black that had a, Brown hand, thumbs down that said, I'm judging you with a pink splotch. <laughs> so I said, you know what? I'm coming to New York. I literally was like, I need my marketing team. I need my book agent. I need my editor. I need the person who's going to be actually writing, creating this. I need everybody in the room because we got to talk. Y'all don't have this right. So I was like, I need y'all to create a side-eyeing emoji.
0: Right, right.
1: Put on this book. I need this book cover to be red, white, and black because red is my signature color. Mm -hmm. So like I literally formed every piece of this book because I was like, all of it needs to be right because this book cannot fail. Because if it fails, we really ain't going to be getting no no checks.
0: All right, pardon the interruption, guys. I just want to spend a moment to thank Switch and Board. It's a podcast studio in Washington, D.C., owned by a good friend of mine. And if you like the production quality of this podcast, if you like this track as much as I do, which I love it, It's all thanks to them. Now, Switchin' Board specializes in podcasters like me and you who are busy. We travel a lot because not only have they mastered in-studio production, guess what? They've mastered remote podcasting production. That's right. So you could be anywhere in the world and Switching Board has you covered. Now, if you want to learn more from Switching Board, I want you to go to paulcbrunson.com backslash studio. That's S-T-U-D-I-O. And let me put you on. And now, back to the show. No, but you know what? The the two things about that story that really hit me is one is you took ownership of the process because you believed in your value, right? I look yeah. back at my story. I was just like, I was just happy. To, I, I mean, I, I I I hate even thinking about it because I was just happy to get the one hundred and fifty, So I was like, whatever you wanted me to do, I'll do right. Instead you took complete ownership of the situation. And I think it's in part because of part two. And that is, this wasn't just a book. This wasn't just a book. This was you trying to change how black women are viewed with regard to their, their publishing and their ability to publish. Like that's, that's massive. Like, I mean, just that, like, it's, it's interesting because I, I didn't, I didn't realize how big mindset and your beliefs in yourself have played into your success, but mm-hmm. it's, it's clear, right? Because yeah. I mean, the book, the book, I mean, how many copies of the book have you sold?
1: Um, 110,000 copies. It we just uh, went to print again for the 14th time.
0: For the <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Oh yeah. I just went to print for the, for the 14th time. Uh, <laughs>
1: Yeah, to, oh to, it, was a struggle. it was a struggle from start to finish. Every part of the process was me constantly having to prove my work. And then, honestly, not waiting for other people to see it and saying, you know what? I'm just going to let the book do its own thing. Right. So you will see. I don't even have to tell you what this book is worth because when this book came out and hit number five on the New York Times best-selling list, mm. it mm. actually pushed David Brooks down one, and he works for the New York Times. New York Times, yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm this thing instantly changed my life, but it also changed publishing. So when I went out with with my second book, editors on phone calls would be like, yo, I'm judging you as in everybody's book proposal now. Wow. That's incredible. They mean really, it's, it's they I had at least three editors say that to me. It was like, every book proposal we see now has your book. Your book changed publishing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because now
1: people getting mid six-figure deals and this is the book that they're using as a comparative title. You, you,
0: you know what? You know the moment I knew your book was hot? Like, well, A, when I saw that lollipop come come. I was like, and- this is I like this. This is nice. But 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 on the on the real, you know the moment that I knew your book was hot was when I would travel in the airports mm. where I would for, I mean, for years I would only see white authors profiled. Mm. And I would go by. And say, oh my God, this lovey's. Oh my God, this lovey's book. Like I mean, I would be in like Istanbul. Oh my God, this lovey's-, yeah. lovey's book. Like what the like? That's when I knew this was yeah. on another level. Like this whole thing had had gone to another level. You know. So the book you just said it. The book changed your life. It did. It it changed your life. So okay. so then, the book comes out. Was that really the moment that you emerged as, okay, I'm really now going to elevate my voice? I'm going to hit the speaker circuit? Like,
1: So I'd already been speaking before the book came out, but then after the book came out, game changing. My book agent, when, when I called him, when I found out that the book hit the Times list, he said to me, not, not my book agent, my speaking agent. Okay. He was like, well, we just doubled your fees. <laughs> like, we were the Times list doubled my fees. Instantly. I went from four figures to five figures speaking. Nice. In a day. Nice. So my speaking just took off in a way that, I mean, I was getting all types of inquiries. Mm. And again, the the gift of First
0: class tickets.
1: Absolutely. Multiple first first
0: class class tickets.
1: Correct. (laughs) Yeah, that's when I was like, oh, (laughs) My mom made it. Yeah. I, like when my book hit the times list, that's the thing. The first thing I did was I retired my mom. Did you? I did. I called her a month later. It was like, you don't have to work again. I can handle your bills and mine. So. Wow. And that was four years ago.
0: What was that call like?
1: You know, what's funny. I feel like it was probably understated. <laughs> I feel like I called her. and was like, so wait, when's the next time you're supposed to be working? And she told me and I'm like, you should quit. I'm gonna put you, I got you, basically. And that was it.
0: And she because she's your mom, she was probably like, it's about time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Listen, I don't remember how the conversation went, but you know, shady Nigerian moms. Um, but yeah, it it was it was life changing, it was game changing, and I'm really thankful for it because I'm thankful for that low advance, because it really drove me. Yeah. Like it was the driving force. That I was like, Oh, okay, so I can do all this work. And y'all can still not pay me what I'm worth. Okay, great. And it, it was like a battery in my back. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have that battery in my back, I might've been more lax about it. I might not have felt that like passion to prove somebody wrong. So you know what? It was for the greater good.
0: Right. Right. So now what was the bigger impact on your career though? Was it the book or was it your Ted talk?
1: The book led to a whole bunch of things, okay. right? Like the book was the catalyst? Like, Hockey stick growth of career. The book was a catalyst because now to be able to say I am a New York Times bestseller, it opened doors that I didn't even realize existed, right? So all these people who might not typically pay attention to me kept on seeing this book. So this book led them to know who I was. And then they'd see, you know, I'd speak at a certain company and somebody would be like, oh my God, this is amazing. Next thing I know, it leads to something else because I always book my next job in the current room that I'm in. All
0: right, tell me about that. I don't, I don't follow.
1: What I mean by Give, that is, give,
0: give, give me that cheat code real quick. How, tell me about that. One.
1: Your next job, your next speaking engagement, your next client is in the room that you're currently in. Mm. You just have to make them fall in love with you. So when I'm speaking, does not fail. Somebody in that room will be like, oh my gosh, I need you to come to my company. Or, oh my God, I need to hire you with this thing. So it's a domino effect of, Any room that you're, that's why I always want to show up and do the best work possible. Because as long as I do that, I will always have more work. Right. Because somebody will be compelled to have me come speak or do whatever. So the TED Talk, I was offered the TED Talk in May 2017 by Pat Mitchell. Okay. legendary journalist, and I turned it down. Because even after all those years, I still have imposter syndrome from time to time. And I didn't think I was ready, and I thought I was too busy to do the TED Talk. Cause well, I had a
0: busy for Ted for, for the, cause this is not Ted X. This is, <laughs> I mean, and, and no, no disrespect to any Ted X, right? <laughs> but this is not Ted X, but you, yeah. but it was really out of fear that you didn't want to
1: hear out, out of me. Yeah. Out of fear. Once again, cause I was like, I'm too big. I have other things. Cause that year was a year that I had, I think I did 50 speaking engagements that year, including the 10 city speaking for.
2: Mm, okay.
1: So I was like, ah, I wouldn't be able to have enough energy and time to dedicate to coming up with this TED talk because TED does not play about their talks. Like official TED makes you, they first of all, they, they assign you a speaking coach. And then for the four months leading up to the talk, they basically make sure that your talk is speaking span, you've been rehearsed, all of that. And I was like, I don't have time for this because I literally have 40 talks between now and then. So I, I would definitely don't have time to dedicate to just this one thing. End up saying no. And then they came to me and said, oh, we're having a panel with. People you're on speaking tour with come on that panel. I was like, I don't have time. Two weeks before, I finally was like, okay, I can go visit and at least like cheer on my friends. And when Pat Mitchell heard that I can come cheer on my friends, she was like, why don't you speak? I was like, what? It's two weeks before. What are you talking about here? Long story short, every excuse that I tried to give them to basically be like, no, I'll be good, they basically did not take it. They were like, it was fine. I had a flight to catch that night. And I was like, I can't speak because I have a flight to catch to New York because I was attending <laughs> you know, a at conference. They were like, oh, that's fine. We'll just have you be the open speaker so you can get to the airport. Damn. So I ended up being the open speaker.
0: Yeah, you, were, well, meant, you I, were meant to be on that stage.
1: Meant to be on that stage. Um, and a week after I did the talk, they hit me up and said, we want to feature your talk on December 1st. Mind you, Ted oftentimes will have people do talks. Nobody sees it for eight months.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Mine came out four weeks afterwards. Wow! On December first was was on their homepage, and in a month had a million views.
0: Um, and that was, that
1: was my life, also.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, because um, I remember I I, uh, I I've I've watched it several times. By the way, Lovey, watch it several times. So I, I've contributed to the views. Um, but it the last mean, I saw, okay. it, yeah, it was it was like f- over five, over five yeah. million.
1: Yes, at five million now. This is wild. Yeah, it's just yeah. like, you know,
0: your, your, your career is just, it's just powerful. You know, let's, let, let's talk about, let's talk about like your superpowers. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I have one thought on one of your superpowers. Okay. Okay. I believe once again, this is me stalking you.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: I believe one of your superpowers is the fact that you have Super friends.
2: Yes. Facts. Okay. Yes.
0: Okay. Can you talk to us about that? Because here's one thing that just visually, and maybe I'm off on this on my stalking. Okay. Okay. Let's see. Here's what I've seen. All right. Okay. This, is what the, this is what I see with these eyes right here is I remember Lovey circa 2015.
2: Yeah.
0: And whenever I saw Lovey circa 2015, Lovey was by herself. She was solo for the most yeah. part, Yeah. right? Even like the, your trip, like I was diving out of planes. So, I mean, you were strapped to somebody, but you're okay. on this vacation, you're solo, right?
1: I do a lot of solo stuff, yeah.
0: When I see you within the last few years, yeah. you're crewed up <laughs> it's like, it's like, and you're standing in the middle. You're standing in the middle of the crew. Talk about that because this, this is, this, I really believe this is a superpower of yours is as most, when we get older, our social circles shrink. Mm -hmm. Yours appears to be getting bigger. (laughs) How are you doing this? How are you doing this?
1: So I actually recently posted a, a, a status on Facebook where I said, I am aware that I work hard, but I'm also very aware that I owe a lot of my career to the people who speak my name up in the rooms that I'm not in. And that's important for us to really understand is we can't go about it alone. So the me in 2015 that you saw, who was often by herself, wasn't that she didn't have the crew behind her, is that at that point, her crew was also quiet. What ended up happening is all of us started doing this at the same time. So then we got louder together and then everybody started seeing us together. One of my superpowers is relationship building and connecting. I'm really good at it because I value loyalty. I value collaboration and community. So my friends, the super friends, we even, there's a few of us, <laughs> but we... Might have been quiet before, as like how we roll together. We also didn't have enough money to vacation together, like we, said. Okay. Now we together. Now you really see all of, all of us together. So that's a big part of it too. Like you get together now, you like wait a minute, are y'all in? That's we broke six years ago. Okay, You ain't have money for that. <laughs> now we do. <laughs> now we do. Okay. Yeah. Now we like yo, you want to go to this thing? When next week? Cool, let's go. <laughs> and that just happened in the last five years. But I think the power of having a really good group of friends is they look out for you. They push you forward. They challenge you. And oftentimes we're told that, like, you know, no new friends or we're told, you know, your circle needs to be tiny. It's not about your circle having to be tiny. You can have multiple circles. I have multiple circles. There's not just one group of friends that I tap on. There's multiple. And they form a squad of, like, anything that I need, I know I can get. just because we all operate from a same sense of like, we know we can't go buy this thing ourselves. Because success, the reason why you end up at the top by yourself is because nobody came up with you. Right. But we are the fortunate ones in that we're all actually climbing together in our separate industries, in our different lanes. But what we find is the value is that like, we can give each other the cheat codes we find, right? right? We can talk the numbers and we can give each other leverage We know, okay, if somebody needs to reach out to this person, oh, I can connect them. Great. It is openness. It is trust. It is a bit of fearlessness in that you're not approaching your friendship with the fear of somebody taking advantage of you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? We're all just like, look, we're here. We don't have coworkers in the way that everybody else does. So we're each other's coworkers in that way, like me and Unique, for example. Me and Unique are each other's coworkers. We talk every day day, I'm like, okay, there's a thing that's going on. What do you think? Okay. We give each other the the thoughts that we would get if we were in the water cooler. Right. But how do you
0: important. Sorry, But but how do you do this without the jealousy? Right? Because because I would imagine too that out of your say your 2015 crew, not everybody has, you know, not everybody could be like, all right, let's go to, you know, Accra next week. So <laughs> How, how, how do you manage that part? Because that's the part that a lot of us have a hard time with.
1: It's not for you to manage. You have to remove yourself from somebody else's projections of you. So of course, there's friends from my past who I'm probably not close with now because as my career went past theirs, they might've felt some piece of resentment and I will notice people just being missing, right? It's not for me to take on as for me to do something different. Right. It's for me to hope what, that they're not seeing my career somehow an affront on theirs. Here's here's my real thought is we're not in competition with anybody. I'm not in any race with anybody. Mm-hmm. Only race that I'm in is with myself. So you being more successful in your career is not a reflection or an indictment of mine and same, so. It's just, I'm like we we might even do the exact same thing. We might both be speakers who speak about the same topic. I'm still not in a race with you Wow! because if your best somehow is better than my best, then if my best is not good enough, what can I do? Nothing.
0: But look, how do you, how do you get that mindset? Because I hear you, right? I hear you. It's logical, right? It's, it's intelligent what you're saying, but a lot of us just have a hard time with this, you know, and I'll even speak to something else that I wanted to bring up with you. And that is, you know, One of the things, another thing that, I I mean, there's so many things I love about you, but you have, I think you have really, not just inspired, but you're like, you're like a convener of black women, right? Mm -hmm. And there's power, there's power in that collective group. Like, I honestly feel confident in the future because of you and many others, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I feel like, all right, we're safe. Like, We got, you know, (laughs) everything's going to be fine. Like everything's going to be cool. Right. But how do you foster that? Because there's so many groups that I'm in, especially with a lot of men Mm -hmm. where we just don't have that. It feels so competitive, even when we're not doing the same thing. It's like, how do we put ourselves in that mind state to say, you know what? We're doing the same thing but we could still do it together. We could still get down together.
1: I think people need to model it. So to your point of being able to like speak my, my core values back to me is because I've modeled it and you see it. Right. So I live it. We got to live it. The people who are around me know that I live it. Like they know, Oh, if I need any help with this thing, if I call Lovey, it's not going to be one of those. All right. uh, This is how much you gonna owe me for this. Or Because they know when they call me, hey, you know, I'm trying to work on a book. How can I get it done? I'm like, let me connect you with my book agent. It's not saying she's going to represent you, but she can at least walk you through the steps, right? So they've seen that type of action. So whenever I convene Black women, they show up because they know that at the minimum, it's not just me talking about this thing. It's me living it. So we have to live it. We have to show what it looks like to not be constantly afraid of somebody taking advantage of you, to be open-handed and and open-hearted in how you operate. And my whole thing is if somebody takes advantage of me in me being open-handed, it's not about me. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I clam up. It doesn't mean that I now change how I move. It means that person is just not walking with honor. That means I need to just adjust how I'm treating, how I'm dealing with them. That means you now no longer have access to me, right? It doesn't mean for the next person that calls on me, I'm like, "Mm, because this one person did this thing that I didn't like, I'm going to withhold what I'm supposed to do for you. One of my favorite prayers is, um, let my helper find me. And if I'm somebody's helper, I don't, and and they're making that prayer and I'm somebody's helper, I need to find them too. So how I move through the world needs to be less about how people react and people who might walk with their own trauma react to my generosity. I just need to make sure that I'm clear that my work and my job needs to be outside of how people react to it. So, if I'm in a space with women and just anybody, honestly, I'm hoping that they're seeing the openness and saying, you know what? I can also approach it in that way. I've been able to build the circle of friends that I have because we all operate like that. Yeah. We all operate like I know I can call Bose and be like, Bose, I need this thing from this person, but I don't know them. And she'd be like, oh, great. I'll just send you, I'll, I'll just connect y'all via email. Like we do it thoughtlessly. Right. And I people think it's exceptional, which I guess it is. But what happens when we stop operating with this like scarcity mindset that there's only one of everything for everybody. So me and my friends, we don't think there's one of everything for everybody. Like if I don't get this thing and I pass it on to you, something else will come along, right. that's fine. You get. A speaking engagement that I wanted, I'll still get another one tomorrow. Right. It doesn't mean I now look at you with disdain. And it's something that we have to be aware of, right? Therapy also helps. You have to start being aware of when you get the feelings of envy and jealousy, sit with it and be like, where is this coming from? Mm -hmm. Why am I feeling like this? The person who I'm directing this towards, do they actually deserve it? When you pause like that, you will check yourself sometimes and be like, I was bugging. Right. Yeah.
0: Right, for sure. You you know, um you just mentioned uh, your sis.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Um you 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 both were a topic of conversation when I went and visited um the Jamaican ambassador about a year ago.
2: Yeah. Really?
0: Tell you, we were talking about y'all.
2: What?
0: Yes. And and I and I pulled y'all up on uh online and I said do you see what they're doing right here? Do you see what these Nigerians are doing right here? We Jamaicans need to be doing the same thing. And what I meant by that is it appears that y'all have put together like this Nigerian army. The West African Voltron? The West African Voltron is like in full, like, I mean, and yeah, I mean, it's like in full effect, right? Yeah. And, I, and And the reason why I was pointing that out is because we were talking about how the Jamaicans, because, you know, there's more Jamaicans abroad than live in Jamaica. Wow. And so we were talking about how we just don't have a collective, like, I mean, so just, just talk to me about this. Just, 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 just like, how did, how, give us some advice. Give, give me some real quick coaching counseling that I could take back to the Jamaican ambassador, right, and say, here's what we need to do in the Caribbean.
1: So the West African Voltron is one of my squads. We formed four years ago. And just off a of conversation, we ended up at, me, Bose, and a couple of people ended up at Summit at Sea.
0: Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. So we just all kept on finding each other on this boat where there was no no <laughs> uh, Wi-Fi, there was no signal on our phones, but we would all end up always finding each other on this random big old boat with 3,000 people. And the five of us will end up in the same room over and over again. (laughs) So we were just like, yo, we should just need to form a group. Like, you know what? We just need to add each other to a WhatsApp thread. Because, you know, WhatsApp is where the immigrants be at.
0: Yes. You already
1: know. WhatsApp is the headquarters of immigrants. Um, And we were like, you know what? Let's just all join WhatsApp. So we all joined WhatsApp and, and formed just like a thread with each other. Right? And then we just started adding people. And next thing you know, there's 16 of us. Fast forward four years we travel together, Incredible. we try to like work together. We try to find excuses to work together. We go to conferences. Sometimes I'll go to a conference just because my Voltron friends are there. I'll be like, I wasn't gonna go, but y'all going? All right, I, I guess I'll go. Like we, we, and then we did this big trip to Nigeria and Ghana where we brought 30 of our friends with us for two weeks. Actually the Ghana side had a hundred people. And the side had 30. So we really, <laughs> well, our whole thing is we just want to squad up, right? We have this thing in common, which is that we're all either first gen. Yeah, we are all first gen West African. It, it, it means cer- certain parts of our upbringing will be very parallel. But we use that as our anchor. And our whole thing is that like, I want to do cool things and have fun with my friends. That is really where it, it falls into. So in terms of how the Jamaicans can do it, you know all the dope Jamaicans.
0: So just just add them to a WhatsApp group.
1: <laughs> and, a WhatsApp group and then right. just start talking about life and what's happening and travel together. That's literally what we do. And I, people think West African Voltron is like a thing. Like, we're literally like, we're just literally a WhatsApp group who happens to travel together. And love together really. People thought it was like an entity. Folks was like, why am I not in West African Voltron? And I'm like, well, you know, it's like a company, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh no, no. I was in the embassy for real. Talk about it. So yeah, we think it's a thing. Everybody thinks it's a thing. All right. <laughs> so so I need to just form a WhatsApp group, and then that's it. it.
1: That's the it. magic of the WhatsApp.
0: That's it. All right. Done. Done. Now I have to talk about another topic with you. Yeah. Because right, because another event happened in your life recently.
2: Yeah.
0: That some would consider to be the biggest decision that we can make. The biggest yeah. business decision, the biggest life decision, <laughs> right, that we that we can make. So how, th- this is what, y- you are just over, is it one year anniversary? Nine months. Not, oh, so you're almost at the year. Yeah. You're almost at the year. Okay. All right. So I'm
1: gonna now. have to today, which is wild, because my rings are in my bedroom. Because he's going to roast me too. He's going to be like, really? you just going to do a whole <laughs> hour about your rings <laughs> off? He's
0: like, what? Come on now. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> you right. So So now. Let, let, let's just real quick. How, how did y'all meet? <laughs>
1: <laughs> we met at, at a day party and he was walking across me and I pulled his beard.
0: Okay, so you okay. made, so Levy, you made the first move.
1: And I never do. It's, it was so atypical of me. I never do. I'm the, I'm the woman who sits back and waits for people to come to her. I never <laughs> be, and I am so not that person. So when I did it, it even shocked me. <laughs> I literally was like, did I just pull this beard? Oh my God. Yeah. I so. That's pulled, how we met.
0: You pull, pulled the beard. He stopped, the beard. stopped.
1: He stopped. He stopped. Was like, if you're going to do it, do it like you mean it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, then, so then you must have tugged again.
1: I probably did. I'm sure I did. <laughs> because here we are five years later. <laughs> wow.
0: All right. So now, how... All right, this this is this is this is maybe a touchy one, but I, but I want to ask you is how do you think being married impacts the business side of lovey?
1: Mm, that's good. It impacts the business side of me because all the busy that I've been doing, all the jumping on planes that I've been doing for years at this point, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to be MIA from home anymore. I don't want to be missing as much as I've been anymore. So that has definitely been a shift in how I'm even seeing my business. Like I've done speaking for, at this point, eight years. Mm. I've, I've done it a lot for eight years. I've jumped on some amazing stages. What else do I have to prove on a stage at this moment? So it's made me want to slow down. And then quarantine happened, right? And I was like, well, there it is. There. <laughs> and now I'm doing more virtual keynotes. And I'm like, that's great. I can do that all day, every day, but I don't want to be missing from home. At some point I was gone from home for like two weeks a month, if not more.
0: Wow, yeah, that's, that's, that's heavy. L- l- heavy. L- let me tell you, we, um, so my wife and I have a rule. And we we learned this. So the first TV show I ever did, I had to go shoot it for 30 days. So I had to leave home for 30 days. We had just had my youngest, well, my my oldest now, but uh, we had just had Kingston. He was like two months old. Yeah. (gasps) Man, yeah. This was like this was it was, and I was literally in this small town filming, crying. You know, miss missing my son, missing my my, yeah yeah yeah.
2: Just a little, just a little thing, right?
0: And and that project ended and we said, look, I will never take a project that lasts longer than 10 days without all of us going together.
2: Yes. Right.
0: Um yeah. so we made that 10 day because you gotta be together or yeah. you grow apart. Like it's 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 that simple. So I I feel that, right? Being away right. for two weeks is long. So then it seems like you are now possibly thinking about pivoting the the, the the empire of lovey a little bit
1: yeah i mean it's it's a constant pivot so i have i've been working like in this quarantine people have been like oh there's not a lot to do i've been working so mm-hmm. my my company right now i'm in the teaching mode i'm pivoting to doing more courses okay membership sites yes um and teaching people really how to do what i do like, there are people who want to be speakers, who want to be professional speakers, who are like, I don't even know where to start. So I actually started the Do Better Academy last year. And there's a, do, uh, there's a public speaking master class. Got you. That I teach. Um, I'm starting a membership group for women who are professional, who want to have more, right? Um, what that looks like, how to live the life on your own terms that you want. So, yeah, a lot of that pivoting, a lot of getting back to my consulting where I don't have to necessarily show up on a stage, but I can see y'all on Zoom and give you the value. Let's do that. So it's not even a pivot. It's still the same type of content in that it is all for the hope of like, for the greater good. But now I want to really affirm and educate other people on how to do it if they want to do it too.
0: Right, right, so, it's, it's, it's it's the evolution. It's the evolution yeah, yeah.
1: of it. If, you can have, if, if there can be five other women who can get on the stage and kill it, I want them to have the opportunity too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing is, and I believe you believe that, you know? I mm-hmm. believe you believe that. And I, and I think that's also another special ingredient about you, you know? Mm-hmm. So you have a a book that you, you you just turned in the first draft, right?
1: I just turned in draft two. Draft, oh, two. okay, okay, draft two. My editor was looking at me like, ma'am, <laughs> where is your draft? <laughs> yeah, so book is special.
0: All right. So then, and when is it? When is it coming out?
1: Uh, March twenty twenty one. March twenty twenty. Right now, Paul, all the exclusives.
0: Man, I'm telling you, I'm just you know, look, I've got to get you right now. I mean, this is this is years in the making, right? So yeah. March twenty twenty one. Yes. Is when we're getting it, and I would imagine we're getting it at. We already saw what you did before, so this is just like you're already planning it right now.
1: In my head, absolutely. Listen. <laughs> I want to kill it. It's basically book 2 is the fear fighter manual. So so this is the do better manual. Book 2 is the fear fighter manual. It's like the big sister to this book. It's not a sequel, it's a big sister.
0: All right. All right. All right. So 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 you were going to kill it now. The first book was about helping more black women to be able to publish, right? Yes. What's the high level goal for this one? What's 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 that? What's driving you on this one? Because I would imagine your, your your book advance looks a little different this time.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Look> much different, <laughs> right? Uh, the goal for this book is to have people read it and feel powerful about whatever they want out of life. I feel like the book that I'm writing now. A lot of times this type of book would be written by a white man who carries all the privilege in the world and tells you, you know what? Yeah. Like just go and get it. But like, what does a book look like that is deeply vulnerable? It's the most vulnerable piece of writing I've ever done. That is about, you have every reason to be scared in this world. You have every reason to wake up every day and be like, I don't know if I can do this thing, but I am proof of what it looks like when you know that you have all the reasons to be scared, but you're like, I'm going to do the stuff I want to do anyway because some beautiful things have happened because of that for me. And I use myself as an example over and over again in my story because at any given time of my journey, if I let fear take over, we would not be sitting here.
0: Mm-hmm. That's true. Now, now this is, this is uh, almost, almost in closing on this, is that one of the things that struck me about your TED Talk That I've watched I think a million times um, is that you talked about being that first domino right and a lot of people don't want to be the first domino because of the hits that they take what is the biggest recent hit that you've taken and I think this is important because I think, from the outside looking in, it's like, oh man, love you she can say whatever she wants. she's got the you know West African movement behind her, she's got all the work like she could do she could do whatever she wants you, you can't you can't she's Teflon right what What has been a recent big hit as a result of you being outspoken?
1: Oh yeah, I trended it on Twitter, and it's it knocked me off my square for a year. So whenever I tell people like I'm a professional troublemaker, I'm not saying it that I'm Teflon. I'm definitely not Teflon at all. Right? And it's and I have that clear understanding that I'm not Teflon. But I'm also not gonna sit here and tell you, like, oh my God, when you're speaking truth and when you're all will be well. No. A lot of times you're gonna take some some arrows, and you taking arrows for other people won't be seen as you taking arrows.
0: Yeah. Can can I ask what happened on on Twitter? You said try. I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know so I don't know how but but I just had to throw it out real quick. It
1: happened like a year and a half ago. Um I wouldn't even go into it because I was still working through it myself. It's also in my book actually. You know what? There's a whole chapter <laughs> in my book about it. There's a whole chapter in my book about it. But yeah, it basically had people just like, I mean, for me to trend on Twitter it means my name was typed a lot in like an hour span. And I had to like like somebody was like, I want to destroy her career. Like, wow. oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It it hit me. It hit me. And this
0: is this is because of you being outspoken on something. Yes. Okay. All right, okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay.
1: And yeah, man, like people we take hits. I I take hits. I'm definitely not, not Teflon. And I want people to understand that like you the things that you see of people who are being elevated are the front things. You don't see all the back work. You don't see all the maneuvering. You don't people assume also when you get to a certain level that you just have like a whole team of people, a PR person waiting for you to like to write any statements for you. And the thing about genuine folks like us is no matter how big our companies get, our voice is still our voice. So we're still regular people who happen to have massive platforms now. And to your point from earlier, do you pivot knowing that because of your platform, you're going to be a target? It is tempting. Hmm. It is tempting to pivot. It is tempting to be like, you know what? I'm not going to do what I used to do at all. I'm just going to stay above it all. But then you wonder if you talk yourself out of doing the thing that's your purpose because of it that whole being the domino thing the reason why you have to fall (laughs) is because oftentimes it does look like that but i always tell people if if you can't be the first domino be the second one that backs them up right if you can't be the first one that's going to take the hit help the person who's taking the hit Mm -hmm. you know every arrow is is not going to be pierce your heart arrow but if you're a black woman also if you a prominent black woman who's opinionated, who's outspoken, we take way more arrows than anybody else. Just in general. Yeah, this is the truth. We have to like get extra fortified. We need the crew as a form of coping mechanism. You need the squad that's going to be like, yo, it's going to be good. You're all right. So it's also a thing of necessity because I'm like, oh, no, I couldn't do half the things I did without my squad being like, you got this. I it's scary. Just keep going.
0: Right. And to your point, if you can't be the second domino, be the third. If you can't be the third, be the fourth. Just step up. Just yes. step up. Yeah. Last question for you, young lady. Yes. In five years, we're going to come back and we're going to do this again. Yes. All right. Where are you going to be? Where are you going to be living? And what are you going to be doing? Just so when I, when I started, I was like, what do you do? What will you be doing? In five years?
1: In five years, I'd be like, man, book two sold three million copies. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> book two, man, book two was game changing. <laughs> um, Man, that's a good question. Yeah. I will, I don't know, wherever I am, I will be healthy, whole, you know. I don't know. It's hard for me to figure out. Cause I don't know. I feel like I feel like oftentimes I just let the universe be like, look, I'm I'm gonna just trust you with it. I'll be happy, whole, and live my best life with my husband and with our kids, and I'll have a vacation home that I can go to whenever I feel like it. You must claim that, and yeah, feeling like I, I I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing have my mind blown by where the last five years has gone. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I like it. I like it. Well, I'll tell you what, lovey. I truly adore you. I have since the moment. I, I don't even know how you popped on my oh, radar yeah. From, yeah. from, from, from the moment you are, you're inspiring. Um, I uh, I'm thankful for you, you know, for real, I'm thankful for you. And, and when, you know, you see all the craziness happen in the world. Yeah. I can look to you to say, mm-hmm. man, things like everything is going to be cool. Like every, everything's going to be cool. Like what I need, that. everything's going to be cool. So I just want to, you know, I just want to make sure that you know that there's a lot of us that may not say it. Right. May not. You, you may not see it, but there's a lot of us that love you. And, and want to be that second domino for you. So thank And you.
1: I deeply appreciate you because you have always been such an affirming voice in the presence and how you even show up is so important. You, I, I literally remember me being on Mentor Monday with the green branding <laughs> of yours and you on the vest and the tie, like. Yep, yep. Yep. Like you have always been such a dope energy. Honestly, in the world where like a lot of times black women don't feel seen by black men, you make it a point to see us. And that's huge. That's massive. And to your point of when I see, you know, people being like, ah, oh, black men don't rep for us. I think about you. And I'm like, yo, we got folks like Paul, you made a video about me three years ago. That was just re- like, I remember one day I was just on Facebook and I just got this tag and you were like, it was a whole video it was like three minutes long about why you rock with my brand, why you love how I built it. And it was such a dope surprise. So in the moments that feel tough, stuff like that keeps me going too. So your work, so important. And I really appreciate you. I'm yeah. like, whenever Paul calls, I'm going. Yeah,
0: I pr- I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Well, I'll tell you what, when I get the Jamaican crew together, maybe, we could, maybe we could do it like a West African yeah. Jamaican.
1: Why not? That would actually be the most fun thing ever because Jamaicans are literally West Africans light because L- y'all have no chill just like us. <laughs> all the same food. Y'all got the same shadiness. We are the same. The same so, uh,
0: lit. we are the same. All right, last, I swear, last story, last story. So, I live in London now, right?
1: Yeah, I know and, you do.
0: And okay, all nice. of my friends are Jamaican or Nigerian, okay? So, so my crew out here, they were like, we got to take you to a proper, you know, Nigerian restaurant. So we, we went to yeah yeah uh what is it 808 is it 808
1: like that yeah yeah yeah.
0: I want to say it's either 305 or 808 so <laughs> <laughs> but so we so we go right and he's like yo have you had jollof I said I don't think so I don't think I've ever had like yeah I, he was like I I was like I don't think so so he said all right let me let me get some jollof for you so boom he hits the jollof I said what I said this is um this is this is uh Jamaican t- tomato rice yeah and, and and he said no 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 this is this is Nigerian jollof I said no 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 this is Jamaican tomato right my my mom it, she she would make this like every week it, I said what this is jo-. and then we had this competition and I took a photo and I sent it to my mom and my mom was like no 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 that's jo- Love, honey I, <laughs> I said this whole time I've been eating
1: jo- Love my entire life yeah.
0: yeah so let's do it
1: yeah let's yeah. do
0: it all right yeah. done that done right. I, I will.
1: If I make my way to London, which I will, because this book will be published in London too, we gotta go eat some food.
0: Man, we for real, we will do that. We, yes. we, we will do that. And I I will do everything and anything I can to push here. So you just let me know. You just let Thanks. me know. All right, cool. Thank you, young lady. I appreciate
1: yes. it. I'm the first episode.
0: You were number one. You, as long As long as the recording works, you're number one. <laughs> We'll see. I mean, I'm about to see right now. As soon as I hit end, if it actually saves, then you are your number one.
1: Bruh, that will be a hot mess if it does not.
0: Oh yeah, it'll be a hot mess. Now see, what did I tell you? Was that not an epic interview? Let me tell you something else about Lovey, something that didn't happen at all in that interview that normally happens i just really want to emphasize not once did lovey say hey can i you know can i plug this can i you know share this link can i give this call to action she literally showed up to serve and she did just that and i want everyone who is now just becoming aware of lovey to make sure that you follow her you support her work All of her information will be in the show notes. And also make sure that you are on the Paul C. Brunson backslash better, right? B-E-T-T-E-R. That's our newsletter. Make sure you go there and you join and you will get all of the insight, all of my thoughts on our guest. And so this one, I'm breaking down all of what I believe Lovey's superpowers are. Until next week, which we will be interviewing none other than Britain's most influential black man, it's Carl Loco. Next on Better with Paul.
2: Sweet and bold.